0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Grammy Award-winning jazz trombonist Doug Beavers. We had a wide-ranging talk about his latest 2020 CD, Soul, and a long, fruitful life in jazz. He is a musician who fearlessly pushes the boundaries of genre, and it all started with Eddie Palmieri's legendary La Perfecta band, and he moved on to the Spanish Harlem Orchestra and many stops along the way. He's got a great past, a wonderful future. Hope is abound. Enjoy. When the sun's
1: shining, it always makes everything a little better.
0: You could say that again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good, man. Thanks for taking a minute out the show. I appreciate it. Of course. My pleasure. Your latest CD comes out during a very strange time on, on planet Earth. Talk to me a little bit about the timing of this release, if anything, was altered because of being in a pandemic and everything that's going on.
2: Definitely. I had planned to bring um, Soul out. And it was it was always I mean obviously it was it was going to be a summer record you know when we yeah. wanted that record to come out uh, May June 2020 at the latest um, that was the idea of it just with you know we we had recorded eight tunes in December December uh, 19 and then the whole thing you know hit around March you know and I I still needed to go to the studio to cut four more. And guys were just pretty reluctant and, in, in, you know, rightfully so for going to the studio and recording and, you know, because I do I like to record my stuff live, you know, so um, they were definitely hesitating and I don't blame them. Anyway, make that story long story short. We finally fast forward uh to July um, 20 and we got done recording everything and mixed master it in August and then it comes out in September. But still it was, you know, the the whole thing definitely threw a loop into it, and we ended up releasing in December, which is the complete opposite of summer. But <laughs> I can't complain because it's been well-received.
1: Well, and I think that's the thing that's interesting about this. You know, when all of this started, it was like, you know, we can't perform live, so we, you know, it's a bummer. But now it's like this is the only, one of the only ways that you can get in front of your fan base is to actually put new material out.
2: Oh, that's, that's absolutely true, and, and for me it was, it was an added blessing too, because I, I had, with Soul, I wanted to start my record label, which, Circle Nine Records, which was actually, it's actually a product, production company too, it, it's a, a way to bring more music to my fans, and, you know, and it, it's almost, you know, the way I look at it right now, we've sold, and the the vinyl, by the way, it comes out in a week or so, Um and we've pre-sold a third. Of our entire inventory of vinyls, even before it gets here, <laughs> so people wow. are super super hungry for the music, and in in ways, I mean, we've had more success. I mean, certainly, just in, in terms of just units sold and and the reception and everything, we've done way better with this, and not we haven't even performed a, a CD release show, which is just amazing, and people are. Yeah you know it, it tells me that you know one of my things is make sure that the music is accessible make sure it's a high you know production value make sure it's a high musical value people want real good truthful stuff stuff from the heart and that that will always be the case and we found a way to bring that directly to people and people are really you
1: know I think they really get that vibe from us and that's that's what we're about so speaking of a really good you know soulful truthful sound what do you ultimately want the listener to get from this experience i mean there's so much that gets put into any album but on this particular album with everything i mean you have parts of that pandemic time that go into this pre-pandemic there's a lot that goes into this It represents sunshine talk to me a little bit about what you want the listener to get
2: yeah i i just the listener i i would love for them to understand that
1: uh, you
2: know, these these lines that, that folks draw with John are, oh, you know, he's, and people for many years, they, they oh, he, he's a Latin guy, even though, you know, my degree from Manhattan School of Music is in jazz composition. You know, I came up learning jazz from from the greats. You know, um, but people say, oh, well, he, he said, but then I worked with Eddie Palmieri. That's kind of how I got my start in the, you know, quote-unquote major leagues. Uh, so, oh, now he's a Latin guy. You know so what i i which is i mean yeah i do specialize in that music but the scope is so much broader of what i do and that's part of the reason why i started this label too is to bring some of that scope forward so when folks are listening to this record i really want them to see how seamlessly these different um kind of uh streams of of thought and music and actually with respect to john or how they flow into the music pretty seamlessly if you think about it like that, you know, with soul, we have a lick that starts off from uh, a tune for May called golden light of day that flows into like a salsa. And then it gets into like a heavy Puerto Rico kind of mambo section. And then we put a soul singer who actually performed with Roberta Flack and Chaka Khan, uh, Ada Dyer. So we meld all these things and it seamlessly works, you know? So what are you going to call it? Is it a salsa record? Well, not really. Is it an R&B record? Definitely not. Is it a jazz record? No. So it's, It's own thing music can still grow and i think with an open mind we can make it whatever we want and that was the goal with this and and i also wanted to introduce 12 original compositions now we're definitely taking influences of styles but 12 original compositions of my own my own pen and commit them to a record and and that was my goal and i think people you know going back to that whole honesty thing i think people really they'll connect to it and uh you know I, i just I, you know, I, I know that that that's the case when they when they hear this music. You know, I, I know that they're going to hear these these, things, these influences blending together. It's like, wow, I, I never would think about that. Cause we do it in a different way than than was in the '70s or the '80s. You know, where there was just like, okay, here's a Latin thing, and then here's a the, you know, blah blah blah. It was it was very kind of categorical. But here, I think we're really seriously blending these these influences in in a new way. So I think that's the takeaway from this record is, is how that's possible. And if that's possible,
1: anything's possible. So speaking of influences, talk to me a little bit about your childhood. How did all of this begin? How did you get enamored with music, and how did it take off into a career? Specifically,
2: like the, the R&B and soul music was always just played around my house. My dad's, you know, African-American, born in South Central L.A. I uh, met my mom, who's actually from Spain. They were born well, way back, perhaps more back than I should but, uh Just real quickly, they met in Spain. <laughs> my dad was in the Air Force, okay, and, and he was a sergeant. He was stationed out in Torrejón. Uh, Air Air Force Base, which is in Madrid, they would go uh, on weekends, they would go into town, and they would go to discotheques, and they would pick up chicks, pick up my mom. Two years later, I'm born, right? So that's how that happened. So so listening, you know, and then my mom moved here, and and so we would listen to that music, you know, kind of on the weekends and stuff, and I just came up listening to that. Um, Now, childhood-wise, I never intended to be uh, a musician. Like, I always thought I was going to be some kind of engineer. So I actually studied, you know, electrical engineering. I had a full ride to UC Davis to be an electrical engineer. Um, On the way there, John Coltrane's Crescent comes on, you know, and I had been studying music hardcore just, you know, just as much. Uh, That comes on the, the public radio, and I just had an emotional moment. I'm like, yo, I can't can't do this, you know, I, I have to do music, you know, that was the, the, the gods, you know, John Colchin is certainly one of them, uh, telling me, turn that car around, and, and uh, go pursue music, see what happens, and that's what I did, I literally turned the car around, and went, went, there was a great music program at California State University, Hayward, went there, got accepted on the spot, I obviously had enough science and math and all that, uh, and then that's, that's where it took off, I did three years there, and then came to New York. And that was, you know, and, and while I was in the Bay Area, that's, that's where I was raised, basically, San Francisco Bay Area, I did a ton of just horn bands and salsa bands, R&B stuff, wedding gigs. So I was, you know, transcribing and arranging plenty back then. Uh, and then, you know, as I came up through Manhattan School of Music, my teacher was Conrad Herward, a great, great trombonist, you know, one of our best. And he introduces me to, to Eddie Palmieri, and I, I transcribed a record called La Perfecta Sue and that was released on Concord in two thousand. Um, and that was really the start of it. Then I found myself on tour with Eddie Palmieri learning from the grades. I was like, we're all twenty-two, twenty-three, 23, shivering in my shimmies on stage, but, okay. but that's how you learn. That's how you learn. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was just an indispensable experience. And, uh, here we are, you know, and now I'm finding those analytical engineering skills really coming to the fore full circle. Cause now I'm engineering my own music, producing it, you know, I mix my stuff, um, and continue to really grow along the production aspects, you know, because I get the physics of it. So it's really interesting how it's come full circle for me.
1: You know, when I think about mentors in your life, you know, you've been around a lot of heavy cats, but Eddie had to be probably one of the first ones that, that probably had a, a huge lasting impact. What did you learn from him? How did you learn? What What were the things that helped you conduct the life the way you you do now? Yeah. Eddie, I learned from Eddie, I mean, amongst other things, really
2: the single dynamic was the dynamics of a live performance. And Eddie Palmieri was always about uh capturing and and captivating the audience's attention. Like, he always wanted the audience engaged. Still does, once we get playing. Eh? And he's not too far. He's like five minutes, <laughs> ten minutes north of me in, here in Jersey. Um, but what I learned was, you know, we always, always respect the audience, and and he always wanted them to be excited, and that's something that I, really, you know, I took within, and and when we perform with my own ensemble, I really, I utilize just those dynamics about, and what he he calls a trajectory, and what he means by that is, okay, the band can start here, um, then we're gonna go we're going to do this intro and so the trajectory's up and then we're going to um, have the singers do the verse. And then we're going to do a piano solo. So that's raising the the trajectory that's raising the, the tension. And then we're going to hit you with the mambo, Then you know, which is the big instrumental section in the middle. Then we're going to hit you with the monia. So that trajectory of energy is really, if you think about it, it's constantly heading up. And when you really utilize these techniques and he he got a lot of this from the Schillinger system, which is a mathematical interpretation of music. Uh, I don't know if you listeners might know about that, but that's, you know, that was, he he has, he's he's studied those books. He showed me the books. He's got everything highlighted there. And he's really taken into that. Uh, When, when you peak, the audience goes crazy and they, they just want more and more. And and being on the stage with Eddie, uh, that's really what I experienced. You know, the, the audience would just, would just go crazy. And so I, I really, not only when I perform, but even when I write, too, you know, I'm always trying to keep that trajectory up, trying to keep the audience uh, engaged, captivated. Um, and, you know, when you learn, those are things that, that, that don't teach in school. You know, when I went to Manhattan School of Music or whatever, I learned a lot. But you don't get that kind of in-the-trench type of experience um, as you do performing with a master. So, I mean, that's really the, you know, the, the singular thing. Uh, I learned with Eddie, and and also, you know, I was I found myself in the studio with Michael Brecker in 2005 for that release, uh, Listen Here, and it was Regina Carter and Giovanni Hidalgo and like with Christian McBride and all these greats. So it was just being surrounded by greatness. You know, you get to experience what these musicians have sacrificed and what they've been do, through to be truly great. And that, you know, without Eddie, that was at that time in my life that was. That was going to be possible, but that was, you know, really blessed to have had that experience with them.
1: So, when you take all of those experiences with these heavy hitters in jazz, and you translate into that teaching the younger generation, what did you get from them that, in turn, helped you teach the younger generation? It, it flows right into that, you know. It, with it, there's a certain intensity,
2: I think that we need to teach. You know, our are people who are coming up in music, and when I teach, and and to take the the stuff seriously. You know, I I recently went to uh, a couple of years in a row. Well, last year I went to TMEA. I think some of are being closest to Texas, your your listeners might know about this, but it's the Texas Music Educators Association. They have a giant, gigantic conference, and there's all kinds of uh, you know instruments and dealers and the marching band uniforms and symbols. I mean, it's a it's a barn, you know, full of stuff. And But as part of that, I would, you know, as per, for my company, Antoine Courtois Trombones, I would go and do some clinics. And, you know, when I go in, the kids are just kind of like, okay, it's another day. You know, it's the routine. We're going to take this music and we're just going to read it down. And, and it, But it's it's not that. It's like, let's take this music. Let's create something new with it. Yeah, it might be the same piece. We're learning how to play. But let's put energy into it you know, let's really, like, the articulation, let's put excitement into every line and, and commit to everything, and you kind of, you work up the students like you would work up your audience in front of Eddie's, you know, or in front of one of my performances, or in front of spanish Arm workers' performances or whatever, um, you get the, you inject, and you have to put a lot of energy into what you teach, but that comes out on their end, and you'll hear a band or or a whatever it might be in their performance, you hear that energy kind of transmuted through the ether to them, you know, and so they perform with with, with that vigor and that kind of sense of desperation, you know, because that's what this has to be. You never know what happens tomorrow, Joe. Like, you know, who knows, you know, with all the things going on in the world. So you really do, they say, it's cliche, you have to perform like it's your last day on earth, but it is really true. And so when you teach and, and when you're you're showing, you have to just ha. You know, as I was able to experience it when you teach uh, kids coming up today, or whenever you're teaching, it could be somebody that's seventy. You have to show them that you know you really take it seriously, and you put a lot of dedication, in and you show them what uh, it takes to be a great musician. Because being a musician is hard enough, but to be a great
1: one, I mean, that's some serious sacrifice. There. So that's that's really what I like to instill as I teach you know every day you wake up as a creator and a musician what do you look forward to the most what is it about being in this profession and this line of work that you look forward to the most yeah honestly joe it's as of late and and with this whole
2: unfortunate pandemic uh it's really given me a chance to to stay home and really hone um different aspects and really focus on them uh, you know like compositional techniques for sure, but the thing that really gets me excited right now is the production aspect, you know, recording and, and working on mixing techniques and, and really, like, I'm a fan of, you know, those those old, kind of smooth, I guess they're old now, but, like, people would laugh, like smooth jazz records, like 4Play and Earl Clue and, you know, um, like Don Sabesky records and, and stuff from CTI, and that stuff kind of along that vein, because if you listen to the sonic clarity the purity i mean the, the the recording is just really second to none um and so i've been here just really trying to to experiment with different things and, and see you know how my music can achieve that t- type of clarity so i've really been excited to to write the music first of all every note of it i've done a ton of arranging but now i'm doing more and more composition and showing you know showing the world how i think about music you know how i think about the music composition but then taking that realizing that and then tailoring the sounds kind of aspect to to what my my sonic vision is and taking that you know through the whole entire process from conception all the way to a master you know so i really i'm really intrigued by that i love playing you know trombone and i'm looking right at it and it needs my attention every day and you know but but really, that whole uh, establishing that whole sonic picture from from beginning to end is really what get the you know I rush out of bed in the morning and, I, and I'm at the workstation learning and and uh, practicing a lot of piano, you know, so I could facilitate
1: a lot of that stuff. So that's that's where I'm at right now. So if you have a dream tonight, you run into your younger self right around the time you were getting ready to start becoming a professional. You could give your younger self one piece of advice. What would it be? It would be to focus my time
2: more on 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 what matters really. Uh, find your voice, you know. Put your 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 artistic self first. Even though when you're young and you're fledgling, you have to take kind of every opportunity or most of them. Uh, but I really found myself being pulled in all sorts of different directions, you know, because I was a freelance artist. I would be working this, be playing an R&B thing. I'd be doing a jazz gig. I'd be whatever. And that stuff would drain you. But I would tell myself to really focus your time and take some time to really think about what you have to offer musically. Not arranging, but compose. You know, I've always been able to hear music pretty well. What do you have to offer? Compose it practices. And, you know, I, I think I, I would have liked to have done that sooner to be on this tip that I'm out on now. But, hey, that's that's the way it goes, you know. And, and when you're younger, it is it is your role to learn from the greats. It is your, your role to really take that in and, and have those experiences while you have youth on your side. So uh, I think that's what I would mention to my younger self.
1: So, oh, you know, going back to that world that we knew last year before the pandemic happened, what do you miss the most from that old world? What are you looking forward to getting back to? I miss socializing with the cats. <laughs> um,
2: absolutely. I miss uh, going and and meeting up with the guys and seeing what's what's going on in their world or, or just hanging out after a gig and, and, you know, getting with a group of guys and they might be talking about a project they're doing, like, oh, well, you know, well, you know, crossing up and just that, that, really, that social aspect that, let's be honest, you can't get via Zoom or, or any other of these online meetings. Just being in this spontaneous, you know, group of folks, especially, like, in New York. After a gig, you like, oh, we're going to go to the zinc bar. Okay, so let's all get in the cab and let's go over there. And then you run into, like, other folks. And so you just end up socializing and that, that, that whole dynamic, you know, I really love for just, being at a cafe or something outside, you know, and, and riding into somebody random, you know, that you know. You know, eh, what's going on? It's just like those, those New York, we call them New York moments. They happen everywhere, but they really happen here often because the population is so densely packed. Um, I really miss that, um, aspect of it. Now, working to three in the morning, that's, that's gonna end for me. <laughs> I'm not gonna be doing that yeah. anymore if I, if I, if I could all help it because uh, I I do like getting up and having, you know, being focused and being alert enough to really turn the page and learn something. But that that whole social aspect is, is
1: what I really love about
2: it. And it'll be back.
1: So what do you hope the uh audience and musician realizes about this long time away from live music? Maybe silver linings, realizations that we all have.
2: The value of it, the value of, of coming together and putting... Certainly, if you're in the audience, you know, putting kind of your everyday trials and tribulations, putting those aside and joining an audience and kind of listening with rapt attention as to what you're experiencing together, you know, and that whole emotional ride that you take with the band as you're listening. Um, That, you know, it's just not the same looking, you know, there's live, there's these live online things, I'm not such a big fan. <laughs> it's just you don't have that connection with people in the room. You know, human beings were meant to be together. We're not meant to be in these vestibules and, and, and cubicles. And, and you know, um, so I, I think we really need to to cherish that experience. We need to put value on that. We also need to put value on what we do
1: uh,
2: as musicians and in the music. Um, and to value all musicians themselves and the artists uh, because they do offer a significant foil because people can't just do STEM every day in science, and, 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 and that's the end of it. And then they play a video game, and, you know, we need culture to balance everything out. And I think we're, as musicians, we, you know, we're in charge of the emotions. You know, I, I want with my records for people especially with my last one, so people to get up in the morning and to put a smile on their face, you know, so we're kind of engineering happiness along those lines. Um, And that's, you know, I think we really needed to put a a significant value just as, you know, in Europe and Germany and and everywhere else, they put a significant value on the work of artists. And I I really think um, we should do so here
1: in the States as well. So everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, students, but you're living your life. Who do you think you are?
2: Yeah, I mean, finally, as of late, I really I feel like I'm the person I'm meant to be. A musician who's actually really found themselves in, in the production aspect and, and the composition aspect and is really focused in, in making that happen. And not only that, really focused on, Establishing a community via my label, Circle Nine. Um, the records that we're gonna that we're working on right now, that we're gonna release, that show a segment of our culture that people I don't think necessarily were aware of. Uh, you know, and it's not just Latin jazz, as I mentioned earlier, but it's kind of you know all like a, it's like a New York kind of thing right now. You know, we actually have an artist from Melbourne, Australia, who's gonna come aboard too, but. I'm not really generally concerned as, as as I used to be about people's perception of, of what I do and who I am, but I know that I found myself in what I'm doing and I'm confident in what I'm doing. And I know it's me. I know it's Doug Beavers. And, and, uh, when you have that confidence, um, things start to really align in the universe and, and folks perceptions like, wow, you know, it's just, he's absolutely sure about what he's doing, you know, or whoever it might be. So, uh, you know, I've never felt sure in my life about my direction, and I, and I think that comes off, and, and uh, that's something I'm, I'm really excited about. And just for me, it's kind of almost the beginning. You know, we have there's so many records I want to make, um, ideas, um, so many collaborations with artists, and so many records I want to bring out there. You know, I'm, I'm really excited to to get it, get it rolling, especially now that seems that we can we might be able to work in earnest pretty soon here. we're on the south end of this thing. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Doug, thank you, man. I appreciate you opening up, and good luck with the album and the return to the stage.
2: Hey, great question. <laughs>
1: thank you. Really really
2: thoughtful.
0: I'm like, okay, all right. I'm going to have to you know, think of a, a, a worthy answer to this. But. Thanks, thanks for your time, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in L.A., New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Doug for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon
2: Jazz.